everybody welcome to the 105th edition of the holy backboard i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct from southern oregon and yo i'm farty man i i don't know what's up with super bowl but like it seems like all the food at super bowl parties makes you fart i don't know if you feel the same way about super bowl parties or if that's just like a supreme hot take but Yo, my my apartment's been kind of kind of smelly. Wait, how are you doing? There was a Super Bowl today. <laughs> What's that? It, it's lot. It's a it's a game that's lost its grandeur in my eyes since two thousand nine. But it's a it, it's like the grand prize. Like you win the playoffs of the NFL, and you may be wondering what the NFL is. It's professional football. Oh. Hmm. No, I had my my eyes on another game this this morning. The Blazers played in the Super Bowl against the Celtics. <laughs> Dog, I was shocked at how loud that game got because I was assuming everyone in Boston would be just chilling at home, saving their energy for the for the game that they cared about more. I mean, later in the day. Oh, I mean, let's just get right into that one because I don't think I felt right after that game for the whole day. That one was a punch to the gut. That one was like the Clipper game when we missed the late free throw, when we didn't switch on the pick and roll, let Blake Griffin take the three. Sage, we did the exact same thing. We had Al Farouk Aminu on a power forward, Al Horford, an all-star. You look at the replay, you see how much space he got on that shot? I, I remember we had a text exchange, and you said, are we going to win this game? I was like, yeah, they don't have the horses. Everyone's injured for them. There's no way they can keep up with us. We're clicking. And then that third quarter, they just winded it down to like a, a manageable two-point lead. And then I was like, damn, we're going to lose this game, aren't we? <laughs> there is no way on this earth that the Portland Trailblazers, at this point in the season, with how much continuity that they should have, should lose to the Boston Celtics without Kyrie Irving, let alone after the fact that you built a 16-point lead going into the break. Sage, they cut nearly that entire lead in about five to eight minutes of the third quarter. It was like that. And this is another example of why you cannot trust this team. They beat, they're starting to beat the, the shitty teams, which has been an issue for us in the past, and I'm definitely glad we're taking advantage of that and starting to protect the home court. But you come off of winning four straight games, you get your ass handed to you in Toronto again, and you get another break. The basketball gods are trying to give you dubs this season. How many times have we played a team missing a key player, and we don't take advantage? How do you blow a 16-point lead? Aside from Rozier, Brown, Tatum, and Horford, I don't know half their roster. There were some. I was like, "Who is Nader? Like, oh, who, who, who is this dude? Who is who is that dude looking like Brandon Bass shooting threes out there?" I, I they have so many no names, and they were taking it right to us. 
that if anything symbolized that Portland needed a trade, it was that performance. I mean, we've done multiple, we've had multiple performances like that throughout the year, but with trade deadline day coming up, you have to make a move if you're Neil Olshay. This team is not ready. The three seed is up for grabs. Portland is 29 and 24. I feel like we do this every time we do the show. We are only a game ahead of the Clippers in the lost column for ninth, but we're only three games behind the San Antonio Spurs for third. There is no margin for error, and when you are playing the best team in the Eastern Conference record-wise, and you get a break like their all-star point guard being out, as well as two key bench players in Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, and you don't take advantage, I I think we're going to be sitting here doing our season recap podcast in in April, Sage, and we're not going to be happy with the results because we've got a bad draw in the playoffs. Mm. We're not taking advantage, and I, I just want to know what is going on because I don't expect to win every game. I thought we'd lose Toronto. I mean, even a blowout, that they're just a bad matchup for us. They were hitting a lot of unrealistic shots. Yeah, the, sometimes the, the degree of difficulty that they shot, you know what? Tip your hat. They, they were pot that it was, game. It, it was just their night, and that's okay. I didn't like us uh, getting blown out, but over the course of an 82-game season, it's going to happen both ways, and... That 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 that's fine. That's something you can live with as a fan. But I just that game hurt because now you're going into Detroit. When we previewed the the, the game last week, they had a completely different roster. Mm-hmm. They make the big deal getting Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, and Bryce Johnson, sending out Avery Bradley, Tobias Harris, uh, Boban, and you know first round pick. And Reggie Jackson is also out. So they are front court heavy while we are back court heavy. So it's going to be, you know, a tough contest. And we said going into the road trip, Portland cannot get skunked. They need one. I still think Detroit is winnable. But had I known when we previewed the game last week that Kyrie wasn't going to play, you know, I might have said, you know, Portland's got to win that game. That's the winnable game of the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, like the schedule gets relatively easy throughout February, but you, you just... I don't know how to say this. I don't want to get the third seed or the fourth seed just because we were able to beat the shitty teams. Come playoff time, every team you play is going to be good. If we can't start beating quality teams, don't get me wrong, Boston is still a pretty damn good team without Kyrie. What's going to happen when you face Minnesota, when you face San Antonio, Oklahoma City, when you face Houston possibly, Golden State, heaven forbid? You want to try and beat them four times in seven games? That's not going to happen. You got to win more quality contests. The Timberwolves game was a great start. But Sage, that that, that seems game, like such a long time ago, man. That game hurt. I mean that that it was just one of those. Like if you've been, if you, anybody watches The Office, you know, whenever Toby gets his robe taken away from him from you know the the company Christmas present, he's the only one that gets taken away. He doesn't get to go to beach day. Michael makes him stay at the office. And he's just like, why? why? Why Toby? As soon as Al Horford hit that shot, I was like, why? Why Blazer fans? Yeah, man. Like, the consensus on, like, Blazer Twitter is, like, they're dead inside. And I get it, man. This season's definitely gotten me, like, less optimistic about this game. And, you know, the, there's important things we have to do in the future to, you know, 
compete, but man, that game was brutal. Because I thought we were going to win easily. They didn't have the horses to keep up with us. We were moving, we were moving the ball, running pick and roll. We were I- keywords were. In the first half, what got us that lead was that beautiful pick and roll to Nurkic. He was finishing around the rim. Uh, our guards were driving and kicking. Mo Harkless had a monster night. I think he had like 19 points on mm-hmm. five of five from downtown. Uh, possibly had eight rebounds as well. Um, I don't have the box score right in front of me, but I remember it being a uh, a career high in threes made for Mo. And, you know, he came off the bench and played fabulous for, for the Trailblazers. And, you know, if, if you're looking for, you know, a bright spot, he boosts his trade value tonight. That contract mm-hmm. is not bad. Two more oh, years no. at 10 million. You can live with that if you can see that type of production. He went seven for 12, five for five from three, 19 points and eight boards. In 31 minutes. I, I I usually go to the message boards after the game. Just a way of like to vent, to read what other people are saying. Like I don't really yell too much um, anymore unless it's like a playoff game. Like it's a, it's one of 82 games. So it's hard. I try my best to not let it get to me. Obviously, this was an exception like the Clipper game when Blake hit the game winner. Game winners are always tough to, to deal with. So I usually go to the message boards and... You know, just write my thoughts on the game. I don't really like putting it out on Twitter. It's just, the, you know, I already am emotional. So it's like you don't mm. want to come across as overly negative. You don't want to come across as, okay, dude, it's 280 characters. Move on. Uh, we get it. You're unhappy. So what I go, you know, I go to Sports 2. And what I said was, this is the exact game and the exact reason why I believe Terry Stotts is every bit the culprit that Blazers Twitter makes Neil Olshay out to be. Don't get me wrong, Neil Olshay has his fingerprints all over this mess. Mm -hmm. But so does Terry Stotts. Neil may have shopped for the ingredients, but Stotts is the one making the dish, and he's Mm -hmm. not doing it correctly. Time and time again, against bigger power forwards, he lives with Aminu trying to defend him. Bless his heart, Aminu tries his heart out. And yeah, he, he tries. He does a pretty damn good job, but like Al Horford, like Blake Griffin, who we've already seen him t- torch Amina this year, they're too talented, they're too big, they're too strong, and they're too long. It's just physics. There, there's nothing about it that Aminu could do. I just don't understand why we're playing Evan Turner and Aminu so much at the forward position. We got absolutely nothing from Turner, and Maurice Harkless was killing it, Ed Davis was killing it. Both of those guys only combined to play 51 minutes. They had the highest plus-minus of the team, and the Boston uh, bench couldn't handle them, and when they were in there, it just seemed like the spacing was a lot better. We were getting rebounds. We got crushed on the boards in the second half. So that was a low-key thing that I started to notice. We were getting all three rebounds. I think we had a pretty uh, massive rebound advantage in the first half. But Boston, when they were making their run, they kept getting multiple possessions. They were getting all the long rebounds. They were just out hustling us for those balls and we were small on the court this has been another reason why i've advocated time and time again for noah von lay to play he would have been a great matchup against al Horford. he could have stuck with him on the perimeter and he has the size strength and length to make his life a little bit difficult on in the blocks and if you have him in the game to defend him he's not going to get that separation on the final shot I mean, like, I, I get why people don't like Noah Vonley. He's not the polished star that we thought we were going to get when we traded for, uh, traded him for Batum. 
traded him and Gerald uh, got him and Gerald Wallace back. Henderson. Yes, you're right, Gerald Henderson. And but it he makes star bigs work. He made Anthony Davis work. He makes Draymond Draymond work. He has the athleticism and size and the ability to move his hips much better than anyone else on our team. So when we advocate for him to play, it's not because we think he's so good because he hasn't shown it consistently. But we've, we're we saying it because he has the physicality to defend guys that are elite power forwards like Horford and Griffin are. And that, I mean, I would love to see uh, Noah Vonley against Griffin. I think he's the only one who really has a chance because I don't trust Zach po- uh, defending the post up on Blake Griffin. And if people are going to say you're playing four and five on offense with Vonley out there, I would counter and say we already do play four and five on offense with Evan Turner out there. Evan Turner cannot space the floor. I know he had a pretty decent January from three, but he's two. He is the most inconsistent shooter we have, and I would rather have Vonley taking jumpers than than Evan Turner. And Turner also needs the ball in his hands to be effective. You know exactly what you're going to get from Noah Vonley: defense, rebounding, and the occasional jumper. And last year when he was playing alongside Nurkic, he had a confidence to his game, and he was finishing and rim strong. Runs. I, I, I mean, like, yo, know, we, we talk about DeAndre Jordan being a blazer, and then people are cool with it, but, like, a lot of his offense is predicated on rim runs and being a garbage man. What is Noah Vonley's offense? I know, like, the comparisons are different, but, like, to say four on five, it's like, no, he contributes in his own way. And you don't need, there's not many teams that have five really gifted offensive players. It's normally some guys that aren't the greatest. So I would rather roll with the Noah Vonley, who I can trust to guard those certain matchups that are just too big for Farouk to guard. And that, that was one reason why I said this is on Terry. There's two more. The second one, why don't we double team or practice double teaming? It, it, I think it's cost us in these game-winning situations. Against the Clippers, Damian Lillard switched on that pick-and-roll instead of coming with the um, coming with the power forward who was on Blake and making him take a contested jump shot. There was not enough time for Blake to shoot that particular shot, and the same situation arised in, in Boston this morning when we, we fouled for possession, which was extremely smart. We had a foul to give. Boston had four seconds left. They dumped it into Horford, and he immediately put the ball on the hardwood and put his back to the basket. There should have been weak side help running across to make to either a double team his shot and contest it, or to make him pass the ball. Because with that amount of time, and as soon as he put his back to the basket, your margin for for error and getting a shot off is so thin, and it's going to be rushed. I'll take my chances on a rush shot from across court then Horford going one-on-one gets off Ruka Minu. And I think I'm not going to necessarily blame the players for this because I we probably don't practice double-teaming. We never do it. The they only just, time I can really remember us doing a double-team is when E.T. goes rogue sometimes, and then the Phoenix Suns game where we hedge really hard on Devin Booker. We've watched every game this year, and it's so clear to me those two times when we hedge or when we do something aggressive. This the 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 way that we play defense when star players are cooking doesn't work because Brad Beal had a great game. There player there every star player has big games against us because we don't 
do anything to make them uncomfortable. Last but not least, shot selection. And this has been... That third quarter, bro. They talked... Those announcers talked about it like, yeah, that's that's a good shot. That's a good quality shot. Seven dribbles and then a pull-up is a good shot? That's not how we play basketball. It's... That's like hero ball. We do hero ball and then we get beasted on runs. Just some of the shots we take with a lead leave you scratching your head. And yes, I know Dame has advocated for Terry and he loves Terry, but you don't need a buddy as a coach sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Dame was the one that took the bad shots. Everyone was taking bad shots. It was either one pass in a shot or no passes at all. It was off of a lot of dribbling and it was reckless, but Terry lets them get away with it. There's no consequences for taking a bad shot in our offense. Obviously, if you take one bad shot, you shouldn't just go to the bench. I mean, that's not going to foster a sense of, of confidence. But, you know, if you were what game were at least past the 50-game the mark, or mm. we're getting damn near close. Players have, everyone it seems like they have the green light. And you know what? Some players haven't, haven't earned that right. Yeah, and they don't deserve it yet. Like, if 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 I was coaching high school kids... And they there was seven minutes of that type of offense where it was just like seven dribbles in a shot. I will call a timeout at, at least and talk to him about like, you know, this isn't the type of offense we're running. This isn't laser basketball. But I don't think we ra- called the timeout. I think we ran with it. One of the things that I noticed in this, this Celtics game was at, at the half, it was about 50 seconds left. And I heard uh, Lamar say, oh, they're going for two. I hate it when they go for two. Because that first shot is almost always an awful pull-up. Two for one? Cause, yeah. Because even this game, Dame took a wild 30-footer. Just to, just for those four extra seconds. I would rather play defense on the last possession and work for a good shot. Because... A lot of times that risk doesn't give us the reward we want with two good possessions. It's usually the last possession we score, but the second one, that's a brick. I see that argument. I I personally like the two for one. With this team, though? What's that? Well, only because because this team. I, and I, I'll give you my reason why. Damon, CJ, and Shabazz are three of the most difficult shot makers the NBA has. They each can make a really tough shot, and Portland doesn't have a ton of talent, so I think you have to pick and choose your spots to gamble, and I think going two for one is a pretty decent decent risk, because if you take it at the right time, I think Terry likes to take it around 32 seconds, which is a really good time, because by the time you play defense, get the ball back, you still have eight seconds. And eight seconds is plenty of time to push it up and, and work for a good shot. I think when you're Portland and you don't have, you know, three or four all-stars like some of these um, elite teams, you have to create as many possessions, I think, on offense as possible. And I think our defense is slightly overrated. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. As, as, as evidenced by the past, you know, two weeks of play. So I'm not s- so confident that we're going to stop them. Now, if we were, you know, the Grit and Grind Grizzlies, the Bad Boy Pistons, the Jordan Bulls, hell, even the 2000 Blazers, 
where we were known for our defense, yes, you need to value that possession, take a good shot, and then go back and play defense. But when you don't have confidence on that end of the floor, I'll, I'll take Damon CJ taking, taking maybe a, a pull-up three. They're, they've shown over the course of their career they can make that shot and then get another shot because CJ, we played defense, we got the stop, and he made that hook shot to go. So we did, the two-for-one worked. We didn't get that first one to go, yeah. but we still got, we had enough time to get that last shot. Um, now I think there are times when there's like 29 seconds on the clock and, and you're you're pulling up and that... Yeah, because in the scenario I referenced, it was 28 seconds. Yeah, so there, it has to be done at a certain time because you need some time for that last shot. Mm-hmm. I, I get your point about manufacturing good shots, but then if we want good shots, why don't we just run the fast break a little bit more? Oh, now you're just asking too much, Sage. That's, that's too... Why are you bringing logic into this podcast? Yeah, why don't we attack the offensive rim or run fast breaks? Ah, we'll just get it all on those two-for-ones where Dame rushes for a really bad three. <laughs> so that was one of the four games that happened this week. Portland also, uh, hand, they did handle their business against the shorthanded Clippers in Los Angeles on Tuesday, 104-96. Uh, that score was not as close as as it really was. Portland had a very strong second half. Um, mm. Portland got an incredible performance out of C.J. McCollum, who dropped 50 in a 124-108 victory. Again, scored not as close. Portland put the smackdown on the Chicago Bulls. And to start the road trip, Portland had the, their fortunes reversed. New, Toronto essentially pulled a C.J. McCollum and went unconscious against our Trailblazers and put up 130. I believe that is an opponent high on the year. And Portland could only muster up 105. The game was never in doubt as Toronto raced out to a 29-point second quarter lead. Um, Sage, really no reason to touch on the Toronto game. We already discussed a little bit. They were hot. We were not. And we fell behind too soon. And even though we made a slight comeback, it just it was too little, too late. And really, everything needs to go perfect in those type of... Like, as a fan of Jonas Valanciunas, it was good to see him get utilized so much in the first half. But yeah, that that game was just unfair. Yeah, I mean they they're twenty one and four at home, the best record for any team at in their in their own uh, gym in the entire NBA. So not a surprise at all. Also, Demar Derozan just eats us he alive. Eats us. Yeah, He's he... a low key blazer killer. Like I can't remember the last time we've won in Toronto. It is a low key house of horrors, and ugh. no, it's a high key. He just dominates us. Because we, we don't really have anyone to guard him. I mean, like, didn't CJ start out on him? Or was it Evan Turner? Either way, it wasn't good for us. He ate both of them up. Yeah, he ate them both up. And then when Jonas is hitting threes and Kyle Lowry's doing his thing, shit, that, that's a tough game to... That's a tough one for us to handle. But man, I gotta say, that Clipper game, if CJ McCollum had an average game, I would have made $5,000 on that, on Daily Fantasy. You mean the Chicago game? Yeah, the, excuse me, the Chicago game. Because I, yeah, I, I was, I had a great lineup. CJ McCollum ruined my night. Well, I'm glad CJ McCollum ruined your night because I was in the building and <laughs> it was funny because when you watch Damon CJ, even the first couple of baskets they make, you can just see they have a rhythm to them. They have a little bit of a, you know, I, I like to say I pep in their step. They have that look in their eyes and they move with a swagger and a, and a fluidity. 
about them on the court and CJ had a couple and I was like I, I mentioned over to Olga I was like CJ looks good tonight like just he looks good tonight and all of a sudden he starts he was a magician with the basketball every move worked for him every wiggle every hezzy every cross he looked great and that offense looked really really crisp like I have not seen an offense our offense look like that in a long time because it was pass pass shoot and it's an open three and it he was just so patient with the basketball that's what stood out to me the most so when Steve Nash was running the show for the seven seconds or less sons he would probe a lot and sometimes he would take his time with the basketball but he would always make the right decision waiting for the defense to give him the prime look. I saw a lot of that from CJ when he had the ball in his hands. You know, he would catch the ball off of a screen and then he would just dance with the defender, Zach Levine on the perimeter, and just wait for him to, to pass by on a couple of fakes and pull up, you know, not really um, messing up his form at all on his jump shot. And then he got to the point where he was pulling up, you know, from four or five feet from the three-point range. And just one of my favorite shots was when he was getting towards 50 in the end of the third quarter. He caught the ball on the left side of the floor, took a couple hard dribbles, left almost baseline, put on the brakes, and stepped back for a just a quick release three. And I was like, there's just that. There's no defending that. That was a gorgeous play. And, you know, he had 50 points, 18 of 25 shooting, which is ridiculous, 6 of 9 from 3, 8 of 8 from the foul line. We have always talked about CJ needing to get to the line more. He did so. Um, chipped in five boards, uh, only three assists with how often he had the ball, or three turnovers with how often he had the ball in his hand, which is really impressive. And he did it in 29 minutes and 16 seconds. He is only the second player, I think, since like 75 to score 50 points in in less than 30 minutes. Clay Thompson being the other one who had 60, but um, Clay had more FGAs in, in that contest. Sage, if this was a close game where we needed more, more scoring from him, I think 70 was in the realm of possibility. Just the way he was hitting and the way he was moving, I tend to agree with you. But I'm kind of glad that we didn't need him to put on 70. I'm cool with 50. I mean, just I mean that was the same night that Isaiah Cus- uh, Cannon got hurt. So, like, as I saw that injury, I was like, all right, we got this lead. Let, let's just... We don't need to risk it. Also, how great of a leader is Damian Lillard on a It night, looked like he really wanted CJ to succeed. On a night where he needed 25 points to move um, in the ranks of the Trailblazers' all-time top 10 scorers and surpass 10,000 career points, he deferred, and mm-hmm. the whole team deferred. And I think that's a good sign if you're looking at the, the, the health of the locker room that the offense was get the ball to CJ and get the fuck out of the way. And it was working and the guys were cool with it. And I, I think it starts at the top with Dame. And so this is something we've continuously seen from him over the course of his tenure as a trailblazer. And probably more importantly, over the course of his tenure as the face of the franchise. And I just think that is so incredible and something that doesn't happen very often. Like Dame only put up nine shots. Um, that, you know, just hats off to Dame. Like, everyone did a great job of making CJ the priority, and he had it cooking. And he said after the game in the locker room, somebody asked him, you know, are you superstitious? Like, you know, baseball players, when they talk about a no-hitter, 
And he's like, you know, no, I'm confident. Sometimes I'm even overly confident. So, you know, we were joking around and some of that, some people were like, man, you have to get 50. So he took it as a personal challenge. Like I need to get 50. Um, and he had, I think like 32 at the half, but that that's awesome that the team made it a goal to get him the ball. And it was just the, the electricity in the arena was amazing. Like people were standing as he had the ball in his hands. It felt like we were watching a classic performance you know, either in the playoffs or at Madison Square Garden, when, you know, the, the crowd is ooing and aahing every time that player puts the ball in their hands. And, you know, to be in the building for Dame's 59 and then for CJ's 50, you know, I feel very lucky. Mm-hmm. And th- it, was this the night that you uh, were on the uh, Alaska-Hawaiian, uh, whatever the hell it's called? The Alaska Airlines Where in the World? Yeah, that thing. Yes, I was. So... My phone was blowing up. My my notifications for me, like I had like nine on Twitter. Like that's, all, that's, that's, a, that's a lot for, for uh, your guy here. And I was like, oh man, what happened? And then, you know, my mom, my coworkers like, oh, you were featured. And I was like, ah, shit, of course I was featured on the <laughs> game. I wasn't watching the game. Uh, so I had to go back, you know, I recorded the game. Um, I still have it recorded because it's, you know, it's cool that my photo made it. And, um, it was cool that it happened on a historic night, too. It's not like it happened, you know, where we got blown out or lost. It was, like, the best game of the season. So that was pretty pretty freaking cool because, like, every time we plan a vacation, it's always like, okay, how can I do a great where in the world photo? Because <laughs> this has been the second straight year I've made it. So, you know, I got to go for, for three in a row uh, in 2019. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like, I was just chilling watching the game. And then I was like, I know this picture. I know this picture. Oh, hey, that's that's my friend. So I, I I got the screenshot, and then I think I said something in, inappropriate on Twitter. But it, I mean, like I was happy to see my guy. Like, you know, shit. Like, it, you don't get to, you don't get to see your homie on on Blazers TV that often. So yes. I and I appreciate you for sending that screen grab. That was a uh, like I said, you're a real one for that. <laughs> yeah, man. Low-key, play of that game, at the end of the half, Shabazz Napier just swipes the ball away from Dude, behind the back in one motion to CJ for the dunk. Shit. And so, the reason uh, you might not remember it as much, they didn't show it on the broadcast. They were too busy doing something else, and they missed that play. I think they showed a re- Oh, God. Our- <sighs> I think they showed a replay of it, but I was like... Oh, that's a bummer because, like, watching it live, I, I saw some Shabazz go in and swipe it and then all in, one, all in one motion do a perfect behind the back, which led CJ for, you know, a brilliant dunk. Got into 32 points at the half. Man, uh, that makes me upset to hear that. I, I mean, like, the play is whatever, but, man, if we have to deal with that whole Blazers TV cutting out actual game content to promote their their content, it... it it's just whacked me, and then, you know, a lot of people's responses to their fuck-ups on Twitter is just so fucking whacked to me. So I'm kind of upset that you told me that play happened. <laughs> I hate to see, I hate to see people in the community community get shit on for how they feel about this team and how they want to support it. So, oh, that, that's dope, though. I Yeah, I had no idea that happened. And I think the last game to really touch on, Portland used, you know, a 30-point 
third quarter uh, to really handle the Clippers in a game that I was worried about. You know, Blake gets traded as you're flying down to Los Angeles. Do you know if the team's going to keep focused or not? But behind Dame, who had 28-7, and seven, only took 14 shots. Nurk had maybe one of his finest performances of the season, 14 points, 20 boards. He did work Yeah, this up. is this is the game where he was like, oh, there's a lot of rumors speculating that I'm getting traded for DeAndre. I better show him something because I don't want to get traded to this rebuilding-ass team. You know, and Ed Davis did work too, 14-9. and nine. Like, that's, that's my guy right there. I, I think he he means more to us than he does to you. You know what I mean? Like he's that he's that type of player, and mm. if we move Ed Davis for cap space or a second round pick, yeah, dog, I see so many weird trades. Season goodbye, Sage. If that happens, let's just sim to the end. The locker room will be lost. The mm-hmm. guys will just say fuck this shit, and nothing else matters. If the hardest working guy in the team gets moved for some bullshit, you can best believe the locker room will go crazy. Yeah, I see a lot of people not really respecting what he does on the court. Like, I try and stay out of forums. I I don't like the uh, group thinking a lot of them. But when I do check it, there are a lot of people that, I don't know, like maybe they don't watch the game or don't understand what Ed Davis does for this team. But it's it's no longer appropriate for people to say, well, he's an expiring, so we can trade him for uh, uh, the Rockets' second rounder and then maybe another. No, nah, he provides too much for us. And with if we're keeping Nurk, we probably should keep Ed just so he can play the backup five minutes at a high level. So, speaking of DeAndre, that is the, the rumor of the week. The rumor du jour. The rumor du jour. I was going to try and say that, but didn't want to stumble over your words. <laughs> what What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, my friend? Oh, I'd do it in a second, man. I'm sick of the Nurk experiment. So you would do it with or without Nurk regardless? Yeah. I mean, here's how I feel. If Nurk is not involved, we're trading him on a side deal. If If the Clippers don't want him, that's fine. Maybe we can get a small forward for someone else who needs a center. Because I don't want to risk Nurk being a petulant child when we get uh, DeAndre Jordan. Because he's had a history of the past not being cool with being that backup. That backup. And I know like Dame's a good leader, but there's something about a person's personality that I don't think he would be cool with coming off the bench for DeAndre in spot minutes. You know, all valid points. Do you think DeAndre fits in with the Blazers? If they change up a few things offensively, yes. I think the fact that we try... I've seen us try and throw oops, and Nurk is just not having it. I think there was one time we threw an oop, and he could have dunked it, but he just laid it up because he's scared of the rim. I think with DeAndre, we have to be way more aggressive with those type of plays. I, I think it would work out fine. As long as we're cool with seeing what happens on some lobs, more pick and roll. I I mean, DeAndre is a good player. That he... So, Sage, this is what's really kind of bugging me when I see people not wanting DeAndre Jordan. I think there are valid concerns 
about um DeAndre Portland fit wise. You know, he can't really create his own shot. He he is twenty nine. He's played a lot of a lot of minutes because he came straight out of high school. So or excuse me, he had played one season at Texas A and M. And there's always that that fear that when guys who have a lot of athleticism, once they hit that thirty year old mark, they can tend to decline a little bit. So I think there there is concern there. I mean, you know, there are valid points, but I think to some extent you you are taking a risk with DeAndre. Do you think he's going to opt into his contract? Do you think he's going to go into free agency? Will he stay with us? I just, I think in terms of contract, that's a risk Neil Walshay has to take. Because once he gets into our program, you're going to have Damon CJ having a great culture. You're going to have a history of players who, once they arrive in Portland, they like it here and they tend to not leave. LaMarcus Aldridge not included in that conversation of players. What Portland has the trouble with is getting them here in the first place. So that's why the free agency route doesn't really work. And we have to go draft and trades. Also, let's say he does leave us. If you're able to offload a contract like Evan Turner in this deal, then you are helping yourself cap-wise. You know, you're relieving some of that, that, that salary that, you know, we've got a lot of free agents coming up, bud. And... We're going to have to, if we do keep Nurkic, he's a guy we're going to have to make a decision on whether we want to pay him or not. He may not make the Andre money, but he's going to make pretty damn close. And for a longer period of time, um, there is the gap in age. Like I said, DeAndre's 29, Nurkic's 23. However, my line of thinking is you know what you're going to get from DeAndre Jordan. He is a guy who's going to score between 11 and 13 points a game and grab about 15 boards and swap two shots, shoot over 65% from the field, and he's shooting almost 60% from the foul line. So that may not pop off the, the page, but that's not too damn bad. And, side note, players who have come to Portland with a reputation for not being able to throw it in the ocean with the foul line, Joel Prisbilla, Ed Davis, Mason Plumley. I know we've had multiple coaching staffs around those three players, but whatever reason, they've all improved their free throw shooting in Portland. So that's another thing to to keep into consideration. And what has been our biggest gripe about Nurk? Not being able to finish around the rim. That is one thing you do not have to worry about DeAndre Jordan. He will flush that shit home with authority. And right now with Nurkic... He's only scoring off of the pick and roll. He'll hit the occasional mid-range jump shot, but Sage, I don't recall the last time he scored more than a handful of times off of post-ups. And now, if we were getting a lot of buckets off of Nurkic, you know, post-ups, then I say we probably need to keep Nurk. But we don't. It's a lot of pick and roll stuff, and DeAndre Jordan might be the best big man off of the pick and roll. You know what I mean? He's shooting at a percentage where it's like, I'm not scared about playing him in the last five minutes of game. We would need his defensive and the rebounding and the block shots. So, like, if he gets fouled and is shooting 60%, you know what? I'm willing to roll with that. Well, it's not like Nurk has been clutch at the foul line no. either. And, I mean, I think DeAndre just provides more. And DeAndre has been on a winning team in a winning culture. 
I think that would help our team. I know we've been winning games and been going to the playoffs for the last few years, but more culture and more winning is never a bad thing. And Nurk's attitude sometimes is really shitty. So I would I would trade anything that's not Dame C or CJ for DeAndre and Where's that Collins? I, I don't yeah, think, he, you can't I don't think we, Zach. No. But I would trade Caleb in a second. Yeah, and I think Caleb is a type of player that you have to look at and say, he's a first round pick, he has some some trade value. We are stacked at that position. Essentially, Zach Collins is our power forward of the future. Ed Davis has, I think, quite a few years left. Um, and if you want, you can get Noah Vonley on the cheap. I don't know where... And Caleb, Chief. Yeah, have Chief. Chief can play there as well. So I just I don't know where Caleb fits in. It's not that I don't think he is a good player or can be down the road, but you have to give to get. And the Clippers are looking for picks, young players, and decent contracts. We can offer... Two of the three. Yeah. And, I mean, it seems like we've been working. And did Neil O'Shea draft DeAndre? He did. I mean, there has to be some sort of continuity from that. I think if we happen to get DeAndre, our ceiling is higher. And I take that. If Since the third seed is available to us, we should do everything possible to try and get that. To achieve that goal. Because just think. There's two scenarios. We keep Nurk. And we get the sixth seed. And that's cool. But the third seed. We could convince that next level of free agents. I'm not talking stars. But I'm talking about people that are MLE targets. Like if they had to choose between Portland. That has DeAndre and is in the second round. I think they would choose that over a team that's offering the same amount of money that isn't in that good of a situation. So how we finish this year matters. And if DeAndre can get us to that next level, I say we take that shot. I think two two things on this matter. One, we cannot underestimate the impact of DeAndre Jordan on the defensive end of the basketball court. I think Nurk has done a stellar job raising the performance of the entire team on the defensive side of the ball, but we've seen the Portland Trailblazers sort of, as the offenses came around, I think the defense has has, yeah, suffered, has suffered a bit. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind DeAndre Jordan is just a, a better defensive player. And uh, he talks. Who Who's the guy that directs the defense? Who's the Kevin Darnett that yells out assignments? DeAndre could be that guy. I don't know if Nurk is that guy, because honestly, it might be more difficult to understand what, what he's saying. Like, I, I'm all about DeAndre Jordan, and if we can swing it, fuck yeah. And let's also not forget, we have a $12 million mm-hmm. TPE from the Allen Crab trade, where if you get DeAndre and you, you lose Nurk, we have that in our back pocket to go out and get wing help to mm-hmm. uh, space the floor. Because, you know, I, I think Portland has viable options at the power forward at the small forward position, um, I think it might be time to to go back to you know a Vonley or maybe even see if, if Zach Collins is ready to start alongside a DeAndre, mm-hmm. and then you can have either Aminu or Mo Harkos at the three. Both players play pretty good D. Um, Aminu has shown the ability to shoot three consistency with consistency this season, and Mo isn't a sh- he's still I mean. His, his Mo Harkless, the basketball player, is still alive. Like we saw 
him have a, a resurgence. Yeah, we saw a nice flash of Mo Arkless. We saw today. New York Mo, and we, oh, yeah. he's, he's been he's been present this year, just not consistent. But maybe if he gets a starting spot back, who knows? Well, what if we got DeAndre, and because we got DeAndre, that TPE is more likely to be used? Wouldn't DeAndre and the, a twelve million dollar wing be better than just Nurk? Because I don't think, as the roster is constructed today, we are using that TPE this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, just think about the add-on. What if we can use that for, I know Damari Carroll's $2 million more than what we have, but like that type of wing. That type of guy that could help establish us and make that push for either the three-seed or a second-round berth. And you know what team would love to shed some cap space right about now? The Los Angeles Lakers. Jordan Clarkson, just throwing it out there. I know there's like been talks about Julius Randle getting traded for real, real, real cheap. Like two seconds and then a sort of usable player. So if we could use that to expedite a trade with Los Angeles, shit, I'll do it. And, I, and Clarkson is more of a name. I don't know if I would necessarily want him. He's, he, has, uh, he had that thing with Nick Young, a uh, sexual harassment thing a couple of summers ago, which I just don't know if I want to take that on but it's just a, a type of player that, that could be out there you got to find the player the teams that want to shed the cap space and we'll do th- some do some do some things to, to get that that cap space off their books and we're one of the teams that can you know through this this exception have a means to do so i think there are a lot of sellers in this market and not that many buyers which makes it so that the buyers don't have to pay as much because there isn't that competition to get those players. Like, I could think of... Let's see. Well, Houston and Cleveland are severely hampered by their lack of draft picks. Cleveland because they're not going to trade them. And Houston because they, they gave them up to get Chris Paul. OKC, I've heard them mentioned, but they're not trading their big three. And outside of Terrence Ferguson, they have no assets. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, I could see the Bulls being active in the deadline, selling stuff. Hawks, Grizzlies, Hornets, Kings, the Nets, and Mavericks. Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, there are sell. There are a lot of sellers, so it is a Phoenix. buyer's market. So if we can get a wing that could help us win, I think we got to be aggressive with it. Here's my question for you. And it's something I've been thinking about. I actually saw this thread on Sports 2. And it made me think about it because I was guilty of it as well. When we were dur- on that winning streak and CJ was putting up 50 and, you know, we're, we're seven games above 500 and, you know, feeling pretty good about ourselves. Is it harder or does it make it more easy to pull the trigger on a trade at the deadline when your team feels like it's finally clicking? Hmm. I think it could be both, because when, when they're clicking, you can see if we got this piece and add it to our already good roster, we can get to that next level. Like, was it were, were the Blazers clicking when they traded for Aaron Aflalo? So Portland made that trade in about three years ago, February of 2015. At the time, they were 36 and 17, 19 games above 500. But over the course of their last 10 games, 
they were just five and five, so they weren't really clicking. And they were a team that was coming off of that that thrilling playoff victory over the Houston Rockets and pushed this. Then no, they got they got gentleman. It was a gentleman sweep by the Spurs in the second round. Really wasn't competitive, but Portland was bringing back all the pieces, and it looked like they were making that push. I think we were. Yeah, Close definitely. to being second in the West at one point in time. And it was a move where I think at the time it wasn't a bad oh, move. It, oh, absolutely. We didn't know Will Barton was going to become this good. We didn't we, know. Vic- we didn't who- know CJ McCollum was yeah. this good. He did show flashes. So you have to blame the coaching staff a little bit for not knowing what you had in, in your back pocket with CJ. Um, but that thankfully that first round pick didn't come back to bite us in the ass. That was a terrible. It? it was the 2016 draft. They finally got the pick, and it was not, not a good, not a good draft. Was it uh, the guy from Florida State that they got? Malik. It was 2015 draft. Malik Beasley. Yes. Well, I I think like when they are when a team is running, you can see the 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 we're just one piece away, and then on the flip side, you can totally see that we got something good going here. Let's not try and fuck it up. So there's definitely a few different approaches to it. but uh... And I think you have to be realistic. Portland, they only finished five games out of the, the number two seed behind the Clippers and Rockets who tied for the second seed at West. So they were generally thought of as a team that could compete for the Western Conference Finals that year. Hmm. So when you're a team like Portland who hasn't been that far since 2000, haven't been to the NBA Finals since 1992, when you have an opportunity, I think you do have to gamble a little bit. It's just like going for two for one. You have to realize you're you're in a small market in Portland, Oregon. You're really never going to be a free agent destination. And the chances of you having a, a star player in Dame, another all-star big in LaMarcus, uh, and just a really strong core, when is that going to come around again? We have opportunities, but... When you see that, you have to seize it, just like Neil Olshay did when he was with the Clippers and went all in for Chris Paul. You have to kind of take a risk. That risk backfired on us, unfortunately, and it kind of led to where we are today. But if you feel realistically that that three seed is in play, and if you get a guy like DeAndre that you realistically could not only handle an OKC in Minnesota or San Antonio, but come the second round, do you feel you could push Houston to six or seven? possibly even defeat them, then yes, you go ahead and you make that deal that gives up a little bit of your long-term your your long-term uh, vision, but it doesn't completely sabotage and sacrifice the whole entire franchise. And I don't think giving up a first-round pick and a Caleb Swanigan and Evan Turner uh, and probably a salary filler for DeAndre or Nurkic or whatever, I don't think that sacrifices long-term because Portland has so many questions long-term with all of the free agents they have. You know, I think people forget Shabazz Napier, Pat Connaughton, Noah Vonleh, Ed Davis, Yusuf Nurkic, five players, free agents. The last time we had that much uncertainty was the summer of 2016, or 2015, excuse me. No, no, no. 2016. It, It turned out disastrous. So... Portland, it, we don't know what's on the horizon outside of really that Damon CJ are going to be back next year, and probably Zach Collins as well. So there is just so much 
uncharted waters that we're going to have to navigate as as a fan base and really look at where we are right now. You know, are you okay being 29 and 24? Do you think adding a guy like DeAndre and then making more moves gets you to where you want to go as, as the third seed? And so back to the original question of if you're playing well or you're struggling, you know, I think it's a, uh, there is no correct answer because if you're struggling, you want to trade everyone, but they don't have the trade value to do so. So you can't make those moves and vice versa. If you want to make a move while you're winning, yeah, the value's up on your guys, but one, you get attached to the players. There's always concerns about messing up chemistry. Portland did that in 2001 when they added Rod Strickland and it kind of threw off the, the locker room. You know, the locker room was already on a shaky foundation and it crumbled. So there is a certain there is a certain uh, sense of you know overthinking things and making too many moves, but I would say in general it's harder to make moves when you're not playing well because you just don't have the value and it you when you're when you're trading you have you have to give to get like you're just not going to make an unbalanced trade and I think you have to know that you have a strong foundation with Damian and CJ and, you know, Terry's been there quite a long time as, as, as well as his staff. Olshay and, and Mr. Allen ha- have been in place for, for some time, especially Paul and the guy you're going to bring in. Hopefully you feel strongly that he's going to adapt right along with that locker room and that the guy you're trading out isn't going to break up the chemistry. So that's why I think if you're talking about trading at Davis, Oh boy, you better be getting a hell of a package for Ed Davis because if the team doesn't see something great coming back in, they're going to say, fuck you, we'll see you in the fall. So it's it's a science. There there is There's no cookie cutter way around it. You have to, it's a lot of gut feel, gut instinct, but I think on the Blazers, there's certain players that could be let go and there's certain players, that's going to be a hard sell for Dame and company to buy into. I think DeAndre is worth it. And that that that's the thing. He's just worth that risk. I wouldn't be trading Nurk for uh the sixteenth rank center, but I would do it for DeAndre Jordan because I think he has all the things that we need to get us to that next level, and that next level is what you know we need to strive for. Is DeAndre a top five center? Maybe. I don't, so, I, so who do we have? We have Boogie Cousins. Yeah, Cat. We have, we have Marc Gasol. We have Carl Anthony Towns. Those three, I think we all can agree firmly yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think it gets a little dicey. Yeah, like, do you think Jokic is really that much better than uh, DeAndre? Maybe. Exactly. Is Rudy Gobert better than him? Eh. I would still take DeAndre. Yeah, I mean, Rudy Gobert's kind of delicate. He's been hurt yes, a lot this year. Exactly, and I think for that reason, he's got he's got durability issues. Um, Porzingis to me is more of a, of a power forward than than a center. I think Jokic probably should be more of a power forward as well. I don't think he's 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 strong. He's, he's strong enough. But if you want to count him as a center, I think that's that's a debate. But you know, we're going down kind of the the laundry list, and you know, DeAndre's. He's up there, and for everyone that says, like, oh, he doesn't match up well against the Warriors, 
We Who can't... matches up well with the Warriors? Abs, abs, absolutely, Sage. You, you know, you're 100 percent correct. Do you think Vuce is better than DeAndre? Oh no, I, I think Vuce is out of the top ten in terms of centers. Okay, because I'm just, I'm just looking at. Uh, what about Hassan? Uh, comparable, but I'll, I'm taking DeAndre. Miles Turner. He's been banged up this year. He has mm-hmm. not taken the the le- the leap that I thought he would. No, I, I, DeAndre's better. You know, so I'm looking at Monday's uh, DFS center rankings. It's AD, who I don't think is a center. No. Oh, Dre Drummond, who I think is probably better. Uh, Jokic, Dwight, and then DeAndre. Yep, I would say say Andre Drummond is, is better. Yeah. He definitely has had a great season this year. Yeah, he's so doing even, a lot of things. So even then, he's on the cusp of being a top five center. You've got mm-hmm. Damian Lillard, who is definitely a top five point guard i think cj is a top five shooting guard you have an opportunity to get three top five mm-hmm. players at their position sage and i'm not seeing what all the fuss is about like well i think I, a lot of people are scared that he leaves in a year or leaves in six months i don't really even if he leaves he could do us a solid let us get a tpe and then we can buy players there's just because he leaves doesn't mean all hope is lost and I don't think he'll honestly leave if we if we show him the culture that we have and the players that we have that are locked up in long term drills. I'm not really scared that he's gonna leave. But if he does, it's not the end of the world. We can still get use from him. And you know, you know, back to back to that that question about the Warriors. Portland made a huge mistake after losing the 2000 Conference Finals to the Lakers. They made moves that only looked at the Lakers and how they competed against the Los Angeles team featuring Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and coached by by Phil Jackson. And I think they overthought that summer and they traded away the heart and soul of that team in Bryant Grant. They made a poor short-term move by getting Dale Davis for Jermaine O'Neal, which at the time I will wholeheartedly say I was in favor of, but as time has, has told us, it was a, just a disastrous move by, by the Trailblazers. You can't go and do the same thing with the Golden State Warriors. One, because even if we get DeAndre, the Warriors are far and away the best team in the league. And I think if you're Portland, a realistic goal could not be a championship as long as the Warriors are there. But you have to realize you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum coming into their primes. And at the end of the day, what is basketball about? It's about entertainment. It's about fun. It's about competition and being excited about watching your team play. Sage, if we get to the conference finals, I will be I don't thrilled. Care. Yeah, I don't care. And is he really that bad against the Warriors? I bet he could match up with Dion, uh, Draymond mm-hmm. or Zaza. There are players that... David West. There are players he can guard. It's not like he would be five minutes at the first quarter, five minutes at the second, and then nothing else. He's gonna play. Yeah. He's athletic enough right now to guard, be on the court. So and, I, I, and, don't, I don't get it. But. And you've got other teams. He matches up fantastic against the Rockets going up against Clint Capella. Cat? Uh, he, he would be able to tell us a lot about that Chris Paul offense. Um, yes, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, the, the Timberwolves, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder with, with Steven Adams. Um, Dude, don't, wouldn't you love to see, De- if we traded for DeAndre Jordan, wouldn't you love to see him block the shit out of a turnaround LaMarcus Aldridge jumper? Oh, all day. Like, he and... Against Paolo Gasol and Lamarcus, we would have our our way, and so so that's what I'm saying. DeAndre helps us get to a scenario where we possibly face the Warriors. 
So I guess what we're saying is, Nila Olshay, get this deal done. I, I, I keep, Sage, I know it's only Sunday and the, the deadline is Thursday, but I keep refreshing my phone. <laughs> I, I need to see a, a deal happen, and it better not be Noah Vonley for a second round pick. Because as a fan, I don't give a fuck about luxury tax. I'm sorry, I just don't. And the second be, round pick's meaningless. And I Noah Vonley has something. I want to be relevant. And I think this team is, it's close. For as much shit as we talk about them, Sage, you know, we love them. The only reason we talk shit is because we care. But for as much shit as we talk about them, they're close. They're, they're not far away from being a second or third seed out West. Oh, look at all of the close losses we've had. All of the times that, I mean, the, the bad teams early on that we just did not take advantage of. That home heavy schedule. Those are fixable things. We're mm. not getting blown out. I mean, save for, for, for the Raptors, really. We're very competitive, and I think we're close. If you add a DeAndre and then use that trade exception, all of a sudden, in my best Mike Barrett voice, we're looking pretty tough come playoff time. So we have talked DeAndre. We've talked trade deadline. We will have an emergency pod for you guys. God damn, I hope we have an emergency pod. If something major breaks... But, Sage, let's look at this week's slate of games. And, Sage, I know we talked about the Pistons last week, but obviously with the, the facelift that Some they, shit done changed, right? <laughs> you know, back in the day, you know, shit done changed. As Jay-Z said, you know, shit was all good just a week ago. Well, uh, they added Blake Griffin, and they're starting backcourt is now Reggie Bullock and Ish Smith. So, I don't want to talk too much about the Pistons, but... I think it comes down to, can Damon CJ have a bigger impact against Reggie Bullock and Ish Smith than Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond against Alfred Kaminu and Yusuf Nurkic? I think that's a fair assumption, yeah? Yeah, I mean, Chief has shown that Blake kind of gets in his ass in those matchups, so I'm kind of nervous about that, but I mean, our guards are going to body shit against Ish Smith, who I like, and Reggie Bullock, who I think shoots three-pointers well. Exactly like the preview we had for the Clippers, because Blake and DeAndre is essentially Blake and Andre. And I predicted Portland would beat the Clippers back when I thought they had Blake, and I don't think I can go back on my prediction now. I think Portland, after getting their hearts ripped out, they're going to find a way to get it done. They know they cannot get skunked on this trip, so... I'm going to go Blazers. I think it's going to be tough. I think we're going to pull our hair out watching Aminu try to defend uh, Blake Griffin. But I think our bench is much better than theirs. And as long as role players don't get hot like they did against Boston, Portland should win if, if our guys just don't go ice cold. You know, if Damon CJ play to their averages, we should win this game. So how do you think, do you think we're going to see a motivated Yusuf Nurkic this game? Because there's a lot, I mean, shit, we spent 30 fucking minutes talking about DeAndre Jordan. There are people talking. He must know that there are conversations. Sage, I would rather go to the roulette table and put $100 down on one color than try to predict what type of performance Yusuf Nurkic is going to have. Because if he can stay uh, like on the court and motivated, this is an easy Blazers victory. But if he's going to be all pouty and bitchy... I, I think we win. I think uh, I think I think Ishmith is a nice backup point guard, but in the starters' role, 
I think the guys that could potentially get hot against us, Langston Galloway, he's a he's a gunner. I don't know if he's burnt us in the past, but dude is not afraid to shoot. And then uh, I, I think we're getting this win, though. So moving on, Portland comes back home. They take on the Charlotte Hornets. Who knows what they look like by that time? So that, <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is Thursday. So oh. this is going to be... I don't want to talk too much about this game because Portland could look very different. Charlotte could look very different. Both teams have been mentioned in multiple trade rumors. Uh, Michael Jordan is said to not... He doesn't want to trade Kemba unless he gets an all-star in return. But basically, that whole fucking team is up for grabs. I, I think we... We've won, what, seven in a row at home? I, I think Portland blows them out. You know, I was fairly mm. confident we would blow out Chicago. Um, Kemba is a very nice player. I, I still don't think they have the outside shooting to make us pay. So if for whatever reason we need to double Dwight or we need to trap Kemba, you know, let's let Marvin Williams and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and, you know, even Nicholas Batum to, to a certain extent try to beat us from from the perimeter because – I think the only way we lose this game is if we don't focus. And we've had those games before, but it seems like we're starting to click at home. And, you know, I like Portland, especially our bench. Our bench plays so strong at home. Hopefully Ed Davis is still on the roster. But if we do make a trade, we're going to need role players to win this game for us. Because in all likelihood, you're going to need a guy like, and I'm just throwing it out there, a guy like Caleb Swanigan or Mo Harkless. If they're not moved, they're probably going to see significant playing time because they've they've gotten bumped up a few spots up in the rotation. Dwight's putting up numbers. He's really ass. But again, he could easily be on a different team. And like the rumor on Dwight is he is just such a bitch to be in the locker room with. So I get it. But when he's on the Hornets and they're trying to play to win, he gets numbers. But obviously, that. Uh, I think there's more certainty on our team with a deadline, so I'm going Blazers victory. Yeah, Hornets are also eight and fifteen on the road. That, that if this was a home game for Charlotte, I would feel differently about it. But Portland's so, been handling biz at at the the RG so far. If you had to take a Hornet player that's not Kemba or Malik Monk, who would it be? Would it be Batum with that contract? Oh, fuck no. I think Batum has the worst contract in the NBA. Mm. I think hands down, that is the worst contract in, in the entire NBA. I mean, he just signed it. Oh, I'm looking at their roster right now. Can't have Kemba or Malik Monk. Jesus, Sage. It's not a pretty roster. No, it's not. And I took the two, I took the two gems off the board. So it's unfortunate because... Let's see. I mean, Jeremy Lamb's having a decent year, average, averaging 14 points. You know, 35% from three, but again, is it an aberration? Like, he hasn't really shown much over his his entire NBA career. Um, ask me two years ago, it's probably Marvin Williams. I just think at 31, he's probably, probably ran out of gas. And it isn't trade. It isn't contract here marvin williams it's yeah, just normal i, I don't i love would go paying, jeremy lamb yeah i don't love paying cody zeller 13 million dollars uh frank kaminsky is essentially a shitty defense a defensive less version of, of zach collins and then michael could go 13 million dollars for a guy who's shot probably, is broken he's essentially evan turner who doesn't dribble yeah i mean 
But yeah, I just it's it, 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 it might be one of the sad. It, if we're looking at sad rosters in terms of just like hovering on mediocrity, it might be the saddest roster in the entire association. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if if we had to pay, it's Jeremy Lamb just because he's skilled. He has he has some nice moves. He can hit a three. He has some playmaking skills. I'd like him more than Evan Turner, but we got Evan. <laughs> Uh, up next is a back-to-back in Sacramento against the Kings. Sage they could be tr- they could be sellers. They could be, and yes, I-, I know they're sixteen and thirty-six, the the second worst record in the entire NBA, and they are only seven and sixteen at home. But I watched that game against the Warriors. I don't know if it was because it was a Friday night or because Golden State was in town and they were up to play them, but. Sacramento was a team that can give you fits. It was only because Kevin Durant kind of took over the game late that they pulled away. This was a one-point game halfway through the fourth quarter. And they're a team that they've already beat us once down there. Mm. And we do not play well in that gym. I don't know what reason is. It's It's been a thing back to the Drexler days. It's just a place that... Just a bugaboo. However, it's going to be after the trade deadline, which... I like had this game been early in the season and they're, they're, you know, they're trying, they're actually really trying. That's when you got to be a little bit concerned, but I think Portland has done a good job lately of playing teams below their talent level and putting their foot down. We saw that against uh, Dallas on the road, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers without Blake Griffin on the road. And for half of basketball, we saw it against the Boston Celtics. I think we handle we handle it against the Kings. It's just too important of a game when you when the Thunder are you know really doing us some solids and drop some games that they shouldn't be dropping. Portland needs to take advantage and and beat teams under well under five hundred. So um, this is a game where turnovers are going to be key. Shot selection is going to be key. We need to make sure that the the Kings don't jump out to a to a big lead, and you don't give them too much confidence because Crush they're, their they're, spirits. They're a young bunch of uh, up-and-coming players. You know, you've got De'Aaron Fox, who's quick as shit. Buddy Heald, who can get hot. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, who's supremely bouncy, you know, around the rim. And they got those vets. They got Vince Carter, George Hill, Zach Randolph. So they're able to, you know, provide like a calming presence. And they're a team. You just have to look out for it. So it's going to come down to focus. If Portland focuses, they win. I think they do. Dame knows their Portland is at as good of a spot as they've been post Lamarcus and you just can't stub your toe here. So I, I like Portland. I think it's going to be, it's not going to be a blowout like Charlotte. It's not going to be a blowout like the Clippers or the Mavericks. It's going to be close because the games always are close in that gym and, uh, you know, look for our backcourt to, to lead the way. Is that the last one of the week? Nope. But oh. what do you got? Do you got a speed in Sacramento? Oh, yeah, I think we got, oh, we got Sacramento. We already got our loss against them. And then uh, we wrap up the week next Sunday, a week from today, against the Utah Jazz, who, Sage, I mean, they Donald are... Donovan Mitchell's a bad motherfucker. They are playing some basketball right now. Seven and three in their last ten. They've won five straight. They tend to beat good teams. Uh, they've beaten, I believe, the the Spurs in San Antonio. They've beaten the Raptors. Uh, they, they killed the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Ricky Rubio is starting to find his groove. Uh, Rudy Gobert is finally healthy. Um, Donovan Mitchell put up 40 against the, the Phoenix Suns. Um, this is going to be a more difficult game than probably I would have expected even a week ago. But 
like a lot of teams, this could be a different Utah team we're looking at, Sage. Joe Johnson is the type of player who I would take that TPE for. Who's ready to take that Donovan Mitchell challenge? Who's ready to guard Donovan Mitchell? If we can shut him down, I like our chances. If he goes crazy, because he's the only one who can manufacture his own shot. No one else on the Jazz really can. Rodney Hood's a spot up. Ricky Rubio's more of a playmaking point guard. If we can stop Donovan Mitchell, I like our chances. So to me, this game is all about tempo, and it's all about pace. And when you play point guards like a Chris Paul, like a Ricky Rubio, like Steve Nash back in his prime, they are players who can affect the impact of the game without even scoring the basketball. They are great at getting their teammates involved. They are great at setting a pace, whether they want to run or slow it down. Portland has to set the pace right off the bat. If they want to go quick, we need to go quick and keep it all the the way. If we want to limit possessions against Utah, then we want to slow it down. I would negate against that. Utah has got too good of a defense to try to grind it out. I think this is a game where we do need to run. We need to be smart with our shots. We need to take advantages in the fast break, but not force it. And just generally take care of the basketball because where Utah is going to thrive is if if we make mistakes and Ricky Rubio is now in the open court and he's led it. That's truly where his his game shines. We want to get Utah in a half court situation on the other end. So that means we're going down there, we're hammering the boards, we're getting a good bucket, and then we're able to set our defense because we want to make Utah work on on offense. Because like you said, outside of Donovan Mitchell, they do not have a player who can break down the defense and create his own shot. So we have to really limit him, but also I think it's it's a pace game. I'm going to keep predicting Portland to probably win home games until we lose one. And I think if we had won the previous three, we're going to handle the Jazz. So that's why the Celtic game hurt, because this could have turned into another five-game winning streak. But while, excuse me, but why it doesn't, if you're looking long-term, you can, you can live with that Celtic loss because of the upcoming four games. So I think it really starts with with uh, Detroit. If you get that, then you have to win these next three games against teams all under 500. And De- Detroit is under 500 as well. So you're playing four sub-500 teams this week. If you're the Trailblazers, if you're really serious about moving up in the standings, you have to take all four. I mm-hmm. think they do. I uh, think what- they, Yeah, I think they do as well. But is there a chance that this Jazz team is at without Derek Favors and Rodney Hood and then they get like a first round pick or something like that. I mean, there's there's always a chance, yes. When there's a chance we're without Yusuf Nurkic or we're without, you know, who knows? Yeah. So it's tough to predict the games at this point in time. But, you know, I really like how the February schedule sets up for a Sage. And if we're smart at the All-Star break, we could really be looking at the at a strong seed. And, you know, that's the true second half of the season. Like right now we're kind of in, in the dog days. But once you get into March and you get that spring basketball, it is a sight, and Portland has a really important home stretch with a lot of playoff teams coming up at home in March where Portland can do a lot of damage. And it's so cliche, but we really do control our own destiny if we want to move as high as, 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 high as three. Mm. So it's is, – Is it too early to look at teams and be like, oh, uh, the, the, the Nuggets are playing Boston. I know they already played, but – what if they're playing again? Is it time to like pay attention to the teams three through nine and root against you know what's best for the Blazers, or is it too early? I'm gonna 
keep it real right now. I've been doing that for probably a month, right? <laughs> or oh man, so so it, it's time. It's 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 okay when we're just we're just watching all teams hoping they they lose so the Blazers can get that third. Oh yeah, I'm all about that. And conversely, if we were struggling to make the playoffs, I, you know, I'd be looking at the, at the tank scenarios as well. So uh, it go. It, it goes both ways, but you know I'm in I'm in win now mode. Like I yeah. want to, you know, we're we're wrapping up this podcast, and it's it's been a great episode with you as usual, my guy. But it's fun yeah. when when you're winning and you have your expectations, and you know you're not going to win the title. But Sage, it would be really fun to win a playoff series this year. That 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 that's not oh, easy to do, mm-hmm. especially with with this roster and especially with the history of this franchise. And those are fun seasons. It was fun as hell in 2015-2016, beating the Clippers and then going and giving the Warriors everything we had. I mean, Mm. it was exhilarating to beat the Rockets two years prior. And it's just that that feeling of, why not? Like, this, it it could happen. Like, you, you can't win unless you play the game. And it was... It's been really fun going to home games lately because, you know, as you know, I have half season tickets and some games it's, it's tough to get up for. And you're like, I don't know if we're going to make the playoffs or we're just going to be 500 the whole year. But, you know, once you start putting together those wins and you start protecting home court, there's definitely a a buzz that, that picks up around the Rose quarter. And it's, it's really fun to, to be a part of. So like I texted you, if we make the playoffs, you find your way up here. Uh, uh, tickets on me, my friend. Let's wrap this up. You know the drill, Rip City. You can find this podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes as well. Uh, and, iTunes, uh, our, our bread and butter. Yeah, iTunes. Yeah, at Holy Backboard. We're also on Dash Radio from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesdays. Uh, Sage, where can they find that at? I'll go to dashradio.com. Nothing, and then go to the talk session section, and you'll see nothing but net radio, and that's where they rebroadcast an hour long snippet of this podcast because you know your boys talk way more than an hour. Oh uh, yes, yes we do. We're also <laughs> on uh, the social medias at Holy Backboard, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sage, I may see you before Sunday. I may not. Let, let's hope. We're having a good emergency pod because oh, man, there, there is very few days that get me going more than trade deadline day. So um, here's here's to an amazing trade deadline day, Sage. Absolutely. 2K Tuesday. Stu- Mixer.com slash stupendous. I believe it's 930 to 1230 Pacific Standard Time. Check it out. You know, we'll be retweeting it. Uh, we're always in the chat. Uh, it's, it's a good time. And yep. as always, Sage, Rip City, baby. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!